You need to forget about all the normal rules that apply to both college and society. And Nick. And Nick. Hello, welcome to another episode of Pop You with Josh and Drew. I'm your co-host, Andrew. And I'm your co-host, Josh. Once again, in the guest chair, this is becoming... A really bad habit. He's not really a guest anymore. He's now not he's even really, yeah. An official now, host. We have the one and only Nick. Nick, how are you doing? Here you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No problem. Uh, oh, you want an autograph too? Okay. <laughs> oh, no. uh, oh, sorry, guys. Hey. Yeah. Uh, Nick, has, back. Nick has somehow become more popular than Andrew and I in a few okay, episodes. Okay, guys. I'm doing a show now. <laughs> guys, guys, y'all stand over there. I've got to, I'll get your uh, autographs later. I've got to do a it's show. Not, it's not hard to do, Josh. It's not hard to... Uh, to... <laughs> We've been doing this for three years, and Nick has been doing it for three months, and he's already more popular. Um, by the way, you missed a really good conversation a, a few weeks ago, Josh. We talked about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I, I listened to it, and uh, it's a great episode. I, I wish I was there. You should you should feel left out. I do feel left out. I good. do. I do. <laughs> um, so last week, we intended to get into Amadeus. We weren't really able to do it because we had such a fun time talking about films from 1984. And then we dove into music from 1984 and then the Academy Awards from 1984. So it really diverged into several different directions. But I promise you today, we're going to get into Amadeus. Uh, so what other music did y'all like? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you, go right, you go right into a different... Are we going to appall you with something confidential and disgusting? Let's hope so. Because that is what you really like. Unconfessed crimes of buried wickedness. If that is what brings you to us, the prospect of hearing horrors, you shall not go unrewarded. I don't believe it. The whole city is talking. You hear it all over. What a story. What a scandal. What a comedy. What a tragedy. Incredible. I don't believe it. Oh, can believe it. What horrors have you heard? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us at once. Tell us about Wolfgang. Amadeus. Mozart. Mozart? Mozart? <laughs> How good is he, this Mozart? He's remarkable. He's an unprincipled, spoiled, conceited brat. I'm a vulgar man. But I assure you, my music is not. He is divinely inspired. He is arrogant, vulgar, obscene. He creates music for the gods. He is passionate. He burns with fire. He is an angel. He is a devil. He claimed he'd been poisoned. Some said he accused a man. Some said the man was Salieri. Salieri? Salieri. I don't believe it. All the same. Could it be possible? Did Salieri do it after all? Did he murder Amadeus? Amadeus, the man, the music, the magic, the madness, the murder, the mystery, the motion picture. Amadeus, everything you've heard is true. As you'll recall, last week we talked a lot about some of the top grossing films from 1984. Amadeus was not in the top 10, and um, let's see, I'm pulling up now 
what it grossed at the box office. It really was a... Nin- $90 million. $90 million is Where'd you find that? I'm on IMDb. I'm on Wicked... I'm on Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Budget budget of eighteen, so it was a pretty low budget movie even for that time. Uh, grossed ninety, so not quite blockbuster status, but pretty close. The budget was eighteen million, and it grossed around fifty three million. And I think now, to date, ninety million would not really be considered a massive hit. It's a hit, but it's not it's what hit. I would consider a massive hit. It's a hit. It's a hit also because of the Oscar buzz. and I mean, I, I, I remember even at six, I mean, that movie was top of mind for, you know, a lot of... I mean, it was it was a very prevalently discussed movie. Yeah, and um, so I don't know, Nick, if you'll remember this. Uh, when we, we rented it in 1985, I guess. So we saw it, you would have been seven. That was, and I was... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember I, I was, watching. I guess, nine... Um, and what we did was we hooked up two VCRs together, and this was one of the first movies that we illegally made uh, made a bootleg copy of. Now, of course, we didn't go out. Piracy. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't go out and we didn't go out and try to sell it on the black market, but we did dub our own copy of it. So and you so, didn't you didn't heed that FBI warning? No, the FBI warning. <laughs> it really made an impression on me. I want to be real clear. I was not part of this. this uh, this no, this was definitely uh, uh, my my own doing, uh, and so this was one of the first movies that I rewatched almost repeatedly for about six months to yeah. a year, and I think you did too. I can remember that. Yeah. Well, we we you know even at that age, I love the music and and um, for you know it, it just it it was a movie that. Uh, I, I really, I mean, I loved it. It's, it did a good job. No it did a good job of making a topic that would actually probably typically be boring to kids, like right. you know, you know, classical music, and and it, right. it turned it into a very modern movie because of the way, mainly the way Tom Hulse and F. Murray Abraham are acting. You know, they're they're not absolutely act, they're not totally. acting was, in a boring was... period drama. It's like the, it, Tom Hulse is is genius totally it was ahead i i think that's a great point it was very much ahead of the curve in taking kind of a a a very old period piece uh you know set back in the um in the uh what mid 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 1700s late 1700s yeah okay And, and having a kind of doing the butch cassidy and the sundance kid kind of modern have a have a modern spin on a an old world uh, story, much in the way that I felt like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid did, where they took they they made they used uh, kind of current speak, if you will. Uh, it you know when you're watching Butch Cassidy, for example, you don't feel like you're watching a, a western in in some cases because it the no. the way that they talk, Who it's almost like guys? they're talking. Yeah, and it's like it feels very for that period, you know, like current. And then uh, same with this one, you know, just the it just, but it was not goofy in a, in that way either. Like, yeah, some movies don't know how to, they don't get it right. Um, we always, I felt like this absolutely got it right. It's funny you say that because we always consider Forty Eight Hours to be the first, uh, I guess. It's buddy the first cop, buddy cop, but yeah. but really, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid is the first. 
true buddy, buddy movie. Buddy, buddy movie, movie, yeah. To Nick's point, it's a comedy, drama, biopic, historical fiction movie made to look like a costume drama. Because there's no reason that a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old would want to watch a costume drama. Like, those are typically boring, stiff, dangerous liaisons kind of movies that, you know, those period pieces that are not going to be appealing to a seven and nine-year-old. But if you, but this is, so I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, I agree with Nick, this is not a true costume drama or period piece because of the anachronistic way they talk. Exactly. And, That's a much more eloquent way of saying it. But and, Yeah, because they, now I did some research, Mozart did, use that scatological humor a lot um, in his letters to his friends and relatives. So we say it's not truly, like it does feel like it's very modern, some of the, some of the jokes he tells, but it's also possible a lot of that is actually how he really did talk. But beyond the speaking, just the, co the, 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 the accents and all that kind of stuff feels modern set in a, 300 year old time period, you know, or 250 year old time period. Josh, what about you? When was the first time you saw this film? Uh, you saw I it a little bit later, I right? I did. Yeah. I mean, I was a teenager. Yeah. So probably I, I started getting into so better films quote, I guess when I was a teenager, something that had a little bit more depth to it. So I, I, I imagine I was probably 13 and even then, right away, it was funny. And again, exactly what we're talking about. It was uh, obviously there's, they are speaking English <laughs> since I'm American. That helps a lot. Um, and then just the way that they are acting, they just did a great job of acting like the way if I knew someone who was goofy seemed like someone I could relate to. Um, that was really the key, I think, to the whole film. Yeah. So is this a biopic or is this a commentary on genius or is this a historic... What, where do you, what kind of movie is this, Nick? Well, I, I think we're going to agree that it was not a biopic. I mean, it's, it's a fictional interpretation or commentary of, of, uh, based on real people. And, um, which is not unlike a lot of movies, you know, there's, so in some ways I, I would consider it a fictional piece, but it's also nonfiction in the sense that we're talking about real people. It was intended to be this way, but it was not told in a accurate way. Right. Um, I mean, we we have to be clear about that. If you have not seen this movie, this is not you don't. This is not a documentary. No. <laughs> on uh, on on Mozart at all, and and I think sometimes we get lost in that. Like I know, growing up, I remember think hating Salieri because thinking I, I was like, this guy was a he was the devil and. And it wasn't until I got probably into my 20s, I went back and, and did some research and I was like, this guy wasn't a problem at all. He was actually more of an ally. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's not a biopic, I agree. Um, it's an historical drama, I think is what they would call it. Maybe, um, yeah, there you go. Basically, basically just, you know, yeah, based on real people, but it, it actually builds a little bit of a different story. And the mm -hmm. point, I think the, the core of this story is very relatable. And, and Nick's right. As you get older, you, you I think, I, I do relate to Salieri much more um, because there is there are people in the world that are born with 
an, an, an immense talent that it's it's you can't explain it and as hard as you try there's always this sort of I'll never be as good as they are just because I wasn't given that gift and I think that's where salary comes from so I, I can relate to that you know because there are people who are born with a gift from day one something about them has been wired to understand the a certain part of the world in a certain way and music for Mozart was that way it's like that genius thing where it's like no matter what I do this guy will always be better. So I think in a way you can really relate to Salieri and that's where the core of the movie comes from. Like why does this weirdo, this like guy who doesn't even know his talent get to have all this talent? There's a select few that see music in a different way. Brian Wilson, maybe Paul McCartney, certainly Mozart and everybody else. Maybe we can do the craft of it. We can write a song but we can't see the music fully formed in our head the way that very few people, I think, on this planet can. I mean, only Paul McCartney can wake up from a dream and be able to write yesterday. Like, that's not happening to us, you know? Brian Wilson can hear good vibrations in his head and be able to spit it out to trained musicians. Mozart can write music without having to make changes to it. Salieri, to me, he was in first place yes, kind of and, yes. and i'm not let, let's t i'm gonna take out the he was kind of like he was it and it's like if mozart was never born maybe salieri is mozart if tiger woods was not born maybe phil mickelson has 12 majors well that charles barkley could be salieri without jordan maybe charles barkley wins now that's exactly right or scotty scotty pippen or scotty or, pippen uh, yeah. You know, or, or like... Um, Maybe George Harrison is Salieri without... If John Lennon and Paul McCartney never gotten... Never been... There you know. go, right? He's a great songwriter. I mean, some of his stuff is brilliant, but... But he's not as good like Paul... as Lennon and McCartney. Tim Robbins, if Tom Hanks was never born. Uh... Yeah, Tim Robbins is in Philadelphia <laughs> and Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. <laughs> um, no, or Michael Keaton is uh, in Forrest Gump and in uh, Philadelphia. No, I, 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 I totally see it. Life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> real, real. It's much more somber than Tom Hanks' version. <laughs> Stop talking like that, Forrest. You're gonna be just fine. So, getting back to the film, um, this started off as a stage play in '79 and went to Broadway, um, but it was actually based on a stage play that was written in 1830, titled Mozart and Salieri. So Salieri was born in 1750. He lived until 1825, 75 years. And then, and then a play was written five years later, which was the first published work that compared or that you know, linked the two composers. And um, the play really was more about Salieri sort of being appalled by Mozart's personality. It didn't really go into anything deeper than that. And it wasn't until Peter Schaffer took that, I, that notion and then built an entire story around Salieri being jealous of Mozart and then ultimately, uh, you know, wanting to kill him. There was one letter that Leopold wrote to somebody that complained about how the Italians were hindering his son's work. That's the only, and it, and it, it might mention Salieri by name, but it's the only 
shred of evidence that has any time, and it, and it may not even have been true, it's just something he wrote. I think his dad was very, I mean, beyond protective, but I think his dad also was very paranoid, I guess. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was right. more of a paranoia. But his dad did seem to think that the Italians were trying to stifle. But that's not surprising to me if that's true. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, you, you could easily take an anecdote like that and say, okay, you know, let's hyperinflate this. <laughs> Salieri was certainly a, a, a step below Mozart, and but everybody was. And so I, I don't know why he would have been singled out as... I, I, that's what's interesting to me about this story. Maybe the only thing that I have a problem with is why was he singled out? Well, so Mozart did claim to have been poisoned in one of his letters. That is fact. I mean, it's not, I mean, no, the fact that Mozart said it doesn't mean it actually happened, but Mozart did think he was poisoned. But Mozart was also potentially suffering from syphilis, which makes you go crazy. Um, he had all kinds of different health issues towards the end, which can definitely have effect on your how your brain functions. He never ever said, you know, Salieri that poisoned me. He just said, I think I've been poisoned. But a lot of his ailments that he had towards the end of his life would make you think that you were poisoned. Yeah, and I would say I would say the least likely of any of these scenarios is that Salieri poisoned him. Um, it, it, could he have been poisoned? Yeah. Um, but it, like you said earlier, it... it there's probably, it's probably probably more likely that he poisoned himself or something. You know, I mean, like, the guy, I mean, he was losing it for sure. Yeah. Um, um, although, so I did some research into the average lifespan of uh, Europeans in the late 1700s. So Mozart died at the age of 35. Nick, what do you think the average lifespan was in Europe in the late 1700s about 40 it was 35 wow yeah what's crazy though is that Salieri lived to be 75 I know yeah <laughs> so he well but again we've talked about this even recently when you kind of carve out smallpox and yes typhoid fever and things that like were so prevalent yeah and all those and then you add in wealth and access to healthcare and things like that, more than likely, he. There's no reason to think that he couldn't have lived a better, a longer life. Right. Um, you know, in other words, I still think that, despite the early age or the young, the the um, earlier age of uh, average age lifespan, he. Like he's still, that that doesn't necessarily fit with. His lifestyle. I mean, he 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 kind of killed himself. Yeah, you know? wealth. I think wealth and access are a big player because he was wealthy, Salieri, and Mozart was not. So, I mean, but but Mozart had the he had wealth. He just he just well, yeah, that's what off. I'm saying. Like he didn't have enough to be able to get any kind of effective treatment for whatever he had. But he was he was also so popular i mean he was he was godlike in some ways and, and 
There's no question that... I don't think he was, he, though, in his own time. I think the re the reality is, I think he was, but man, like, Ein Klein Nacht music came out 30 or 40 years after he died. That piece of music was in, wasn't even discovered until he was dead. How crazy is but that? It, he was still insanely popular, and I think that despite not having probably two pennies to rub together, he, he was popular. He had... He had resources, and if he had wanted, I think, I this is just a baseless theory, but my theory is that if he had wanted to live a, a more healthy lifestyle and, and then even have, say, let's say he um, had some kind of ailment, he could have sought health care. He just, I don't think, he was unhappy. He was an unhappy person. The, the the opening scene of the film when Salieri is, or is yeah Salieri is being carried through the snow to the uh, hospital. The first thought that went through my head was no wonder the, the the lifespan is so low. Like this guy is like sick and has just tried to kill himself and is bleeding out of his neck and like they're running him through the snow. It's like, yeah. yeah, like it's, that'll that'll shorten your lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, everything all right. was dangerous. All right, so, yeah, sorry. Right, so let's talk about the movie. We got to get to the movie. Um, all right, so I have picked out five scenes of the film that I think are the most memorable, and feel free to add one that I've missed. But I've come up with, I think, the five most memorable scenes, and I want, I'm curious what y'all think is the most memorable of these five. Let's just do it this way. So the five scenes that I have picked out, First scene with the priest, and then he plays the pieces of music of his own. And of course, the priest has no idea what he's playing until he starts playing a Mozart. He's like, yes, I know that. Um, <laughs> so I have that as the first scene. famous composer in Europe. I wrote 40 operas alone. What about this one? Yes, I know that. Oh, that's charming. Sorry, I didn't know you wrote that. I didn't. The second scene I have is the introduction to Mozart. Uh, when Salieri first realizes who Mozart is, all the way through him, them starting his, uh, his concert or his symphony or whatever it was, and him coming in late, and then Salieri picking up the, the music and then Mozart grabbing it out of his hands. I have that as my second scene. Third scene, the Salieri welcome march when Mozart comes to Vienna and meets with the emperor and just, you know, the great scene. Uh, when, of course, he plays the welcome march and then has to re basically redo it because it just doesn't really work, does it? Should you try? Should you try? On <laughs> <laughs> one hearing only? Think so, sire? Yes? Show us. Same, isn't it? 
doesn't really work, does it? Or this. This. Yes. Better? What do you think? Fourth scene. Great scene. Great scene. Great scene. Fourth scene, I have the party scene, the costume party scene. When Oh golly. Another great scene. Yeah, when uh, he he and his dad and uh, his wife, Constanza, they go to the party and they're playing musical chairs, it looks like. And of course Salieri is there with the mask and he sees a play Salieri. And then the fifth scene I have is the end scene, the Mozart Salieri collaboration, when Mozart's in bed and uh, he's basically dictating the music to Salieri, and he's like, oh, you, you go too fast. Um, and he's like, do you have it? Do you have it? <laughs> Let me see. Let I, me th see. I, I think, see. I would see. say that's my favorite scene out of the whole movie. Really? Yeah, I think so. Show me. Maladies. All right. Yes, 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 continue. Second beat of the fourth measure, on F. Now the orchestra, second bassoon and bass trombones with the basses, identical notes and rhythm. First bassoon, tenor trombones with the tenors. Go no, too fast. Do you have it? Go no, too fast. Do you have it? Trumpets in D. No, no. Listen to no, me. I don't understand. Listen. It goes with the harmony. Yes. 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 And that's all. No, no. Not for the real fire. Strings in unison. Ostinato on A. Like this. X measures rising. Do you have yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. Alright, so that's your favorite. Alright, so so those are yeah. the five. Uh did I miss any? Yes. Okay, Adam. Too many notes. Ah, yes. Yes. Too many notes. <laughs> add that. That's a good one to add. The Which whole, notes that... did you have in mind, sorry? <laughs> Um, that so where where would you start that would you start it with like the actual end of, of that scene of the opera yeah, through the well, yeah that whole scene well okay so uh, that is my favorite piece of music in the in the film yeah um, it, the, uh, me, break me it's yeah I I've actually so not too in the distant past I've listened to the entire Figaro opera and it is uh -huh. that is the to me, the best part of the opera is that is that uh, sequence. There's like 13 minutes of it, and it's just amazing. Wait, that's um, not Marriage of Figaro, though. What's that? Hang on. That's not Marriage of Figaro. That was uh, a different... No, it that is. The... No, it's... Wait. It's Marriage it's... of Figaro. No, it's I... it's Marriage of Figaro, for sure. It is? Okay. Yeah, 100%. Okay. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We interrupt the conversation to bring you an update. It turns out Nick was wrong, and I was right. The opera is actually the abduction of Seraglio. For those keeping score at home, I was right. And now back to the podcast. Leading up to the um, 
that conversation, I would start it right. I would almost start it like when Salieri and um, and the uh, the singer are kind of practicing. It, but but since it's a different scene, I'll leave. I'll stop. I'll start it with right when uh, she's on stage, and then it culminates with um, with uh, Stanzi uh, like. Or no, the the same the same singer like throwing the flowers down or whatever and storming off the stage. I mean that that. But anyway, that that's that's my article. That's a great scene. Or yeah, yeah. I, that I, we'll add that one. Um, any other scenes? Um, Josh, I think if there's Josh. Other than that, I, I think that's other than yeah. No, those those are my top. Those are your best five about. or six. Scenes. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you could almost throw in. Maybe you could throw in. Oh, you you did so, say the costume party, right? Yeah, the costume party yeah. definitely. Maybe, man, there's so many to choose from. There I mean, are. They, you, I, I would say you hit them. I, I'd say you hit the the high notes. Yeah, for th- sure. those are the so out of those six, Nick, which is your favorite? Well, the the that one uh, okay. followed closely by the costume party. Um, yeah, where. Uh, Tom Holes starts doing like the Salieri impression. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and then, so uh, I love the, I love the, uh, the, the procession, how he's proceed, you know, the, 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 what am I trying to say? The, the walk, what, what did you call that? The, the processionary piece that he wrote for, like the Jeffrey the, Jones the walk march. The like, walk march. Yeah. Okay, let you know, let him in. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that one. Slowly first. I have to practice. <laughs> and yeah. Then, the, uh, the, the welcome march. The welcome march. Yeah. The welcome march. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That one. Um, that that scene with the priest is is so good. The 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 uh, derision that um, that that Abraham is able to convey in that scene is amazing. Like. He's just so, he is so like scornful of, of the priest for not picking up. Oh, I love that. But um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Keep going. Uh, and, and then, you know, but the next, the next couple scenes that you mentioned are great too. So all those are great, but kind of order of, for me would be as I just stated. Yeah. What about you, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the scene where he's trying to help him finish the finish yeah. writing the composition. So because he it's such a mess by that point, you know, just he's like dying, he's sweaty, and he just looks awful. It just you know, but it's like it's that it's move, such that a, scene made me tense. That scene made me so tense. Yeah, it's yes, so weird. Yes. It's so weird because he's helping him. It's like they, their relationship is really weird. It's almost like Mozart. That the Salieri could be anybody because Mozart is so good and he's so in, in his own, such a almost like a child based on the movie at least. It's like Salieri is just trying to catch up and have a glimpse of that that yeah. star power uh-huh. and like oh right. we're friends but I really want to kill you too. <laughs> well, it's just it's here, so weird. Here's why I love that scene because for a lot of reasons, but it's his first real glimpse into what genius is. Salieri is very talented, you know, he's, but he's a craftsman. He's not on that next level. Cause remember there's that one part in that scene where they're working on it and Salieri's like, oh good, I got it. Okay, this is great. And he thinks it's, cause in his head, 
that's as good as you can make it. Oh and yeah. Then Mo and then Mozart takes it to a whole nother level. He's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Real now for the real fire. And that is a great that is a great sequence. And like Salieri is, you know, you see it on his face. He's blown away because he's like, man, yeah, this is why. This is why he is who he is, and I am the wife right. because I don't yeah. have that next gear. Salieri was like at that one moment. He was like, okay, yeah, I guess I could have figured that out, and then yeah. Right, and then he gets blown away. Yeah, and then and then Mozart just takes it to a whole nother level. Um, well, I mean, so, so you know, it, the that, that's the duality though of of uh, of like um, I don't know admiration or uh, that's probably a nice way of saying it. I mean, he's 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 obsessed with with Mozart, and so on one hand, he's got this incredible level of uh, of uh, kind of like almost worship. And, but it's, this, it's that same, it's that same, um, intensity that also creates hate. It's a great illustration of, of how that works, you know, jealousy and, and the, it's all predicated on, on like this admiration and, and worship. And he's having such a hard time of reconciling his own hate for the guy, but his own hero worship of the guy he says he, he mentions it several times in the film like remember he says that through my influence i made sure don giovanni only had five performances but i was at every single one right it's like this constant struggle within himself to to keep down right. somebody he, he's just completely enamored by and um yeah it's it's and it's and, weird and like, that's my favorite that's my favorite takeaway from this whole movie is that they take a theme they use this great vehicle the thing is mozart is not the villain in this movie it's the god is the villain in the film because it's salieri's relationship with god that ultimately is it's really who he's mad about and he says that many times i mean he definitely it's not overstated i guess but it's it's something that i didn't pick up as a kid but as an adult you definitely see that he's not so much upset with Mozart yes he is I and mean, that's who he sort of that's the tangible he takes physical. his anger out on Mozart <laughs> right right and, and you know Mozart represents the physical form of God though right God, yeah. God is who he's really upset with it, it goes back to why did you give me this desire and, and why did you give me this longing to do this and why did you give this person and so I mean you know Salieri clearly is insane to, to think that but I think in his mind, it's real. I mean, he he wants to, he gives God his chastity and his um, devotion for the ability to play music, which is why he says "grazie, Signore, grazie." Um, and so, when God then puts this sort of ability in someone else and to mock him, that's when he turns on God. Um, so there's um, there's some interesting themes there that, yeah, I, I didn't catch it the first few times. I kind of caught it as a story about, you know, man versus man and, you know, who's who's the more talented person. But really, it goes a lot deeper than that, that um, I think is obvious now, but I think at the time I didn't really catch it. So let's talk about F. Marie Abraham and, and Tom Hulse a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I noticed rewatching this the other day, the makeup that they give Salieri to make him older is pretty damn good. I was just thinking that like literally five minutes before we started the podcast. I was like, yeah. how come there are certain movies, even 
right now that will use whatever makeup and it might not look very good but in 1984 they're doing like these old school effects and the makeup is so good it is really good they want an oscar and it makes you want to know what other movies they've done so many other elements are part of it like i think f murray abraham does a good job of working with the makeup but I think the lighting is interesting. I read, I read online uh, that they use natural lighting throughout the whole film. There is no artificial lighting at all. So every scene is done in natural lighting. And I think it looks darker. And so I think when it, it's darker, you maybe hide some of the flaws in the makeup, maybe? I don't know. But um, I'm just looking up the actual person, Frantisek Chizik. There's a huge makeup like about eight people in the makeup department. So I was going to click on and just see. I'll just click on the first guy. Frantisek Chizik. Let's see what movies he's done. All right. Uh, he didn't do much that I recognize. Yeah, he's clearly foreign, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't see a lot. But they did a good job, whoever they are. <laughs> I'm on an IMDb yeah. right now, and it says F. Murray Abraham was in the makeup chair for an average of four and a half hours each day. He played the old age Salieri. Oh, there's one guy, Dick Smith, makeup old Salieri. He's just so just one guy was in charge of that. Let's see what Dick Smith has done. Two people auditioned for the role of Mozart and played Mozart on Broadway. Does anyone know who they are? Tim Curry and Mark Hamill. <laughs> ah. I yeah. can see both of them maybe pulling that off. Um, let me ask you this. So did the right person win Best Actor? F. Murray Abraham versus Tom Hulse? I say yes. I, I, say, I say yes because, you know, there's a more, more of a, a... No matter what you say about Tom Hulse's performance, which is brilliant, there is more of a depth to, uh, to Abraham's performance, and that's what really affects you is it's all about his jealousy... Just like you said, Andrew, his relationship with God. And so it's like, it's from his perspective. So it makes sense that he would be the best actor because he, he did, it's from his perspective, right? So it, I just feel, you feel closer to him, even though Tom Hulse's performance is just as entertaining, if not more. I love some of the subtlety of the expressions he makes. Like even in, a, even in the scene with the welcome arch, when the emperor asks if he can play the music for Mozart when he walks in, Mm -hmm. Like you see on, you can just see on F. Murray Abraham's face, I can't say no to this guy, but I do not want him playing this music. A Abraham was able to, he can sell a scene with his eyes. You know, he can look at the screen, not the screen, but he can look at the, um, you can sense what he's feeling based on his eyes. Isn't this movie really about Salieri? I mean, it's, it. Like, you could have called it Salieri, but, and that's kind of the genius of uh, just the overall production is it's, it's again, Mozart is like this vehicle, but it's about, it's about Salieri. And um, Amadeus, Amadeus translates to beloved of God. That's what Amadeus means. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why they call it Amadeus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. it's his part of his name, but it's also, it tells you exactly what you're getting into mm -hmm. but it is about Salieri it's about Salieri's mm -hmm. own personal demons um, more so than it is about Mozart I I mean I agree it's I think just like go ahead well that in that scene where he's like grazies and 
He's looking. He's kind of like he's got his hands on the table, and he's kind of looking. His eyes. His eyes are trained upward, and he just looks so upset. You know, I can't say the word, but <laughs> oh, you're talking just, about the second time he says says gracias. Yeah, the first time. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And, oh, no, and, he then, looks... and then when he and then when he put throws the cross on the fire, the the they put the camera back on his eyes, and the reflection of the fire in his is eyes. Like, in his eyes, and he looks so possessed. Yeah. There, I, I guess what I, for me that's really like what I looked at, and I thought, this guy, he's winning the Oscar without saying anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple other people that were almost cast as Mozart. So those two auditioned for it. Kenneth Branagh was almost cast. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it says originally a very young Kenneth Branagh was cast as Mozart, but Milos Forman changed his mind and decided to go with American actors. For the principal roles so let's talk about the accents because i think that's interesting mm -hmm. that these they play italians and austrians and germans but their their accents are either british or american yes <laughs> right i and, think that's um, just that's probably just to have a more worldly appeal is my only thought a more american but, appeal like a more american accessible appeal. Right. Yeah. More relatable. And it, I and guess. it works. It worked it totally for me. Works. It did work on me. Yeah. It worked um, on me. I, it worked on pers me. Personally, I, I'm not a huge fan of actors trying to do accents, shoehorn accents. <laughs> me either. It's just not. They're not able to do it. Tom Hanks is guilty of that, and I, mm -hmm. I think it takes away from his performances. Um, I think it's yeah, Charlie Wilson's war. You start listening for the flaws. <laughs> well, like in Charlie yeah. Wilson's, it's like well, I mean, like even something like Charlie Wilson's War. You watch that movie, you're like, man, he—that's not a Texan accent. He yeah. sounds like he's from no. Georgia. And, and, he sounds like he's I from get, Georgia. Yeah, and I get yeah. why they do it. They don't want to be playing. You know, I think it's like the same criticism that we give like certain actors. Basically, they're just playing themselves. You know, well, if they incorporate an accent then it's kind of hard to say they're playing themselves so like if tom hanks just plays that in his normal tom hanks voice maybe that's our other criticism you know well he's just playing he's just playing uh you tom, know he's playing tom hanks <laughs> yeah, yeah he's playing john you know john miller and saving private ryan in the in a different movie that kind of thing and, and yeah. uh, it totally works for this movie you didn't need it and it works the other accent Tom Hanks did, of course, is Forrest Gump, which is also pretty bad. Let's talk about uh, Costanza real quick. A couple other actresses were in the running for her part. Meg Tilly actually won the role and uh, that works. That would work. Broke her yeah. ankle. They were in Prague, ready to start filming. She broke her ankle playing soccer on the streets with some kids. Yeah, and, that sucks. And they couldn't halt production for her to recover, so they had to recast it. In a weird way, could either of you see Tom Cruise playing Amadeus in '84? Too young. Too young. Probably too. Probably too young. Yeah, I'd say too young. And it, it it's it's a role that stands out, but it still takes a back seat to Salieri. And I think Tom Cruise would have been like, "No, I want to be the star." <laughs> This is all the right moves, risky business, Tom Cruise. So You're maybe right, he would just be young. happy to. He's too young. He's just happy he's to be young. there. Definitely. Five years Tommy later, Lee like, Jones is Salieri in 1984. Do you think he would have been okay? No, that's not bad. We have a hard target search. A very Mozart. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it doesn't translate. <laughs> um, that's not bad. 
because he would have been in his 30s. Um, he would have been at the right age. He definitely... So he was going to be my recast. What about, okay, so if we're going back to 84, what about somebody like Christopher Walken as Mozart? Would that have worked? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, if you think about him, the old, I mean, Christopher Walken wasn't yeah. our Christopher Walken in 1984. So he could have done it. Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, yeah, Richard Dreyfuss definitely could. Have you seen uh, the Goodbye, the yeah. Goodbye Girl? He 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 would he could do that. He could do. I, I'd say that's your. I'd say that's the top choice. Good job. I'd say he's number one if you don't get Tom Holmes. Could Bill Murray have done it? Could Michael Douglas have played Salieri? Sort of, no. but he's so he's so Michael Douglas. This is eighty four. The story goes that Milos Forman wanted an unknown, so obviously these wouldn't have worked in a real scenario. But if he decided he wanted A-listers, then I think what about Al Pacino. This would have been right after Scarface. This would have gone right after Scarface. Yeah, he'd have to tone down his Al Pacino, but he could probably pull it off. Nick and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. He wasn't. He wasn't quite. He wasn't. He, he wasn't yeah. Al Pacino yet. So he could have the intensity. To have that jealousy, right, as Salieri. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he would work for sure. He would work. Uh, Robert De Niro might have worked. You know, think De Niro uh, could have worked. Could Kevin Klein have done either one of those guys? I think Kevin Klein would have done really well at Salieri. Really? Yeah. If I happen to pick up my weekly edition of Variety and I saw that they were remaking Amadeus, <laughs> I'm driving out to LA and I'm throwing myself in front of it. Um, <laughs> but if they did, who do you have at Salieri, Nick? I, so this is going to be a little bit of a stretch, but since I've already said Tommy Lee Jones, um, John Malkovich. Mm. That's good. Too old, though, huh? Well, and again, it's a little bit of a stretch on age, but let's take age a little bit out of it, because Jim Carrey, I think, would be awesome as Amadeus. He'd be too old, too, yeah. He would be, I mean, but he, I'm just saying, if we were going to cherry-pick when we would remake this... You yeah. know, if we're going to make this in the mid-90s, I would love to see Jim Carrey pull that off. Yeah, he'd be good. You could have Jim Carrey as uh, Mozart. Tommy Lee You're, Jones. You could have Jack Tommy Nicholson. Lee Jones. I mean, you know. Yeah. Or whoever. Um, but. Then you could get Cruz in there. <laughs> yeah. Then you, But then it becomes a Tom Cruise movie. And I what think that's like Je kind of what, what Josh Jeffrey was saying. Jones' role? <laughs> Who would be recast? <laughs> um, hey, could, could, uh, Matthew Broderick, could Matthew Broderick have played uh, Amadeus back in 84? Too young. Okay. He would have yeah, been, probably, he probably would have been like 20 or 21 What, maybe. what if we did uh, Jeffrey Jones in the same role? Cameron Alan Fry Ruck, Alan Ruck as yeah. Salieri. <laughs> Alan Ruck. Alan and, Ruck. And Phoebe. It's almost the same movie. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Who was uh, Sloan? No, 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 no. I'll tell you who plays Salieri. Who, this is perfect choice for Salieri. Johnny Depp. Yeah. Johnny Depp. Okay. He can pull yeah. off. He can pull off any accent. He can pull off depth. Yeah. He got the quirkiness. I think he could do it. He's still too old, but if yeah. you pulled him out of retirement, Daniel Day Lewis would have been awesome. How, what about what do you think about Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> <laughs> I think you could get Leo to do Salieri. Yeah, 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 yeah. Leo. Definitely Leo could be probably yeah. either one, but definitely Sally. Yeah, you could do Leo. Yeah, Leo would be maybe, good. Maybe, sure. maybe he would be a better Mozart, though, because 
he he doesn't he does not great with accents. <laughs> yeah. Well, you would so, he wouldn't do an accent. He would just. Well, do, he wouldn't do an accent, I guess. But I hope this is one of those that they never redo. I don't think they um, will. I think it's on. Oh radar. God, no! There's no way. Yeah. Um, how much was Mozart making and spending? Like when he gets when he gets those little gold pouches from Salieri to do the uh, Requiem Mass, and when he gets money from the guy to do the magic flute towards the end. Like, how much are we talking? I don't know. See, here's the thing. It's a good question. Probably Always broke, not, though. Probably not that much, because number, you've got a couple of different factors. One, it's not mass-produced and, like, distributed all over the world. So you're talking about... He's literally... He's making probably comparable to what a local artist would make doing local gigs. And I think I yeah. agree. I agree, because doesn't his dad say at some point in the movie, like, compositions don't pay... Right, but the, yes, here's the right. flip. Here's the flip side. All he spends his money on is booze. There's no right. way he's going broke on booze. I mean, he does have a pretty cool place, though. I yeah, bet you that's but, like yeah, a nice place true. in a nice part of town. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying it's not like he's like buying like Bentleys and you know, I, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a there's a weird like uh, contradictory there. Uh, that would be. Now that would be fascinating if if there was some kind of like expose on, on like what his celebrity net worth was in seventeen ninety. Exactly. Like, does anybody have his checking account history? That would yeah, be awesome. That would be <laughs> because yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing he's spending it on gambling, drinking. So was he a gambler though? I mean, do we know that? I kind of think he was just a boozer. I mean, in the movie, that's all he's really doing. Let me see if they have like any kind of. I'm looking at his. Uh, I feel like it'd be hard to track down specifically. <laughs> Mozart well, and, and come, finances. What, and his family was, was somewhat wealthy. I mean, his dad was probably... All right, here we go. Here we go. Letters show that Mozart repeatedly borrowed money from friends, from friends to pay for his travels and his social obligations and that his family was forced to move at least 11 times. The wow. new documents on display at Vienna's Music Verein, which I guess is like a music museum, reveal that he earned about 10,000 florins a year or at least $42,000 in today's terms. That's as of 2006. How much? Wait, say that again. 42000 so about fifty grand a year. You'd think that'd be a lot at that time. No, it's like 50000 in today's terms. So that's... that's oh, I, I see what you're saying. That's yeah, lower. Okay. That's it, it, At that time, it was 10,000 florins, which, would, which, which is what translates to $50,000 a year now. Yeah, you can't afford a maid. Remember his dad's like, you know, do, do you have a maid? He's like, no, we don't want one. I mean, mm -hmm. somebody making somebody making fifty grand a year doesn't have enough to, to pay for a maid. So, because he he didn't take right. students, which is where you make your real money, all he did was pay you know write operas and concertos and got paid based on that. So yeah, fifty grand a year. So so anyway, so you can blow through fifty grand a year pretty easily. Yeah, for yep. sure. Another question I have: uh, Would a concert really start without the composer there? <laughs> <laughs> And would Mozart really, would there be a scenario where a guy is in the back room with his girlfriend and all of a sudden starts hearing his, his music and then it's like, they're starting without me. Surely they dispatch people to look for you. Right. Uh, you, you would think so, yeah. But I guess it, we're trying to, we're, we're supposed to understand that this guy really just doesn't care about, I mean, like the performing thing is like secondary to everything else. Like he... He's a, he's just a kid, you know. He just wants to have fun, and he's a prodigy, but he's not. He's kind of he takes it for granted. Yes, I think that's what it is because I think he loves his music. 
But I think I think music is one number one for him. But I think he's also just a just a goof off, I guess. The New York Times did a story in 2009. It's titled "What Really Killed Mozart," mm-hmm. and they say maybe strep. Maybe strep throat, you said? His sister-in-law recalled his body was very swollen, so much so that he was unable to turn in bed. He had a high fever. Uh, And the cause of death at the time was recorded as fever and rash, which even in the 18th century were considered symptoms, not a disease. Many causes have suggested over the centuries syphilis, the effects of treatment with salts of mercury, rheumatic fever, vasculitis, Infection from a bloodletting procedure, trichinosis from eating un- undercooked pork chops, stre- streptococcal infection. The most common causes of death of people 18 and over, over during this time was tuberculosis, malnutrition, edema, gastrointestinal disease, and cerebrovascular disease. It's funny, none of the examples listed have anything to do with poison. So, I mean, I think you could almost definitively rule that out. Yeah, that's the um, thing is I think I think he was he was accompanied by a doctor and his wife. They were all kind of like in the room. It, it wasn't like, you know, he was, you know, alone and, and ate like they saw him like lying next to a plate of food. You know, I mean, he was he was in the bed. I doubt he had been eating anything. I, he didn't seem to take very good care of himself. So I think if you combine that with maybe a bad case of tuberculosis, that'll be enough to kill, kill you. And mm-hmm. like, what would his mile time be? 1842? <laughs> I'm gonna say, I don't think he could finish a mile. Like he just, <laughs> like, uh, like he goes a quarter of a mile and he's real tired and he just But stops. is he having to wear the wig and the powder and the, and the... No, let's say, let's give him a pair of Nikes. Let's give him some like athletic shorts and a wick away shirt and, and some and, 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 some, and some Gatorade. We'll put his greatest hits on a, on a playlist and say, you got to walk. You don't have to run it. You've got to finish a mile. I don't think he does it. He'd probably be like, why? <laughs> run for like, fun. Why? What is that? Run, run for, for fun. fun. What, the heck? what the hell kind of fun is that? <laughs> I think he finishes under 25 minutes. What do you think, Nick? I'm kind of now leaning that towards maybe. That is a slow mile. I don't think he makes it. I think, I think that would just expedite his death quicker. How long do you think it would take Salieri to run a mile? Could he? Well, finish? he lived till he's seventy-five, so he do se- under looks like minutes? he's in good shape. I think. I yeah, think oh so. yeah. I get maybe maybe seventeen minutes. Yeah, I mean these guys probably smoked so much though. Um, any others? Any other hypotheticals? Food in, in movies is always a big thing with me, and there's two yeah. things in that movie that. I always like salivate over one. The nipples of Venus for one, right? Well, yes. The nipples of Venus, uh, which is basically what I understand it to be is chestnuts in brandied sugar. Which Is that what he s- says it is? That's, that's what, what he, he says, says it is. is. Whatever that dessert was that Salieri, his little butler was eating... You know, it looked like it looked like he went to the refrigerator and got out like a can of frosting. Maybe you know, uh, I forget the Does name of the guy. It? Who is that guy that we love? His official name is that guy. He's that guy that's in everything. So I found a recipe for Venus uh, nipples of Venus. Okay, let's hear it. Um, and it's and the guy is talking about how he he first heard about it from Amadeus. So um, white sugar, 
unsalted butter, six ounces dark chocolate, whole chestnuts, salt, cayenne pepper, vanilla extract, brandy. So Nick's right. It's it's chestnuts and brandy and sugar and milk. It's got milk in it. And then you put it in like, it's just like a, it looks like a, like a, it comes in like one of those uh, cupcake cups, mm-hmm. paper, paper things. It sounds so good. It does. It looks, the All right. looks really good. So Vincent Schiavelli. Okay, I'm not going to read his entire IMDb because it'll take another hour. Okay. He's in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He's in Kidco, Josh. Yeah, uh, Kidco. He's in Amadeus. He's in Johnny Dangerously. I'm just I'm naming the hits here. Uh, he's in Better Off. Uh, he's in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Where he's in Better Off Dead. He just recently passed away too. He yeah. Uh, he's in God. He's in a ton of TV shows. Batman Returns. Uh, so we need to figure out what that dessert was. Yeah, the one at the very beginning. He's in Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, good food talk, Nick. Good food talk. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like that. We don't incorporate food talk often in the podcast. Food, food and We movies, need to make sure. Some of my favorite parts of movies are, are what are they When eating? people are eating. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great. That's a great idea. We should do a segment each week. So, Josh, you got to know, like the one thing that drives Nick craziest uh, is that um, in Home Alone, when uh, Kevin is putting together all the traps for the burglars at the very end, yeah, and then he makes his macaroni and cheese, it drives Nick up the wall that he never actually takes a bite of it. <laughs> he never gets he, like, to eat it. He, yeah, he takes he takes his fork and puts it in there, and then the clock dings nine o'clock, and then he just like puts it puts it up and. Why did he think he had time for it? I mean, he was so good at it. He well, was it, so good at his schedule, and then he lost track of time or something. And and how how prompt the robbers are for uh, being <laughs> showing up exactly right at nine. At nine. They really yeah. did come right at nine. Yeah, we'll yeah. come back up really loud. Joe, Joe Pesci's like, we'll come back about nine o'clock. <laughs> the one thing that drives Matt crazy is when you bring up. Uh, plot holes and inconsistencies in Home Alone. So well, and he took the time to light the candles. Like, like here's my thing. You've been planning. You need to eat something. So, don't spend time finding matches and lighting the candles. Just right. You know, eat it. Eat it. Just warm and it up. <laughs> and it's macaroni. He made macaroni. I mean, that's people make that for a reason. It's quick. All the planning that he made, and then he doesn't think through. Uh, I need to make myself something to eat, but. And it's well, microwave, so he could just stand at the microwave and eat it real fast. Like he doesn't need to sit down with two. How long does like it a, take? Like to... tablecloth. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> the thing that's that... insane. We'll, we'll do this round robin here. Uh, Nick, does Amadeus, in your opinion, make the Pop U Hall of Fame? And give it a letter grade. So we've talked about this before: A, B, C, D, or F. And to be in the Hall of Fame, you got to be an A. And to be in the Hall of Shame, you got to be a solid D minus to an F. So that's our scale. So anyway, uh, Nick, where would you put Amadeus? Hall of Fame? A plus movie for me, and it's a Hall of Fame movie. Josh? Same for me. A plus, Hall of Fame, all the way. There's there's like no doubt. I, I, would, I wouldn't even say A. It's an A plus. All right. I, I'm going to say A. It's definitely a Hall of Famer for me. The only reason it's not an A plus is because I feel like the second half is a little bit long. But it's Hall of Fame and um, great movie. So if you haven't seen it, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast probably. 
But yeah, um, spoiler alert. If you way. have seen it, yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> whoops! I just said that at the Whoopsie. beginning. <laughs> now here's the other trick about it: you can only get the director's cut. You can't get the original theatrical cut. I tried, and it's not available. So unless you own it on DVD or VHS. So um, anyway, Josh uh, and Nick, thanks as always. We'll see you next time. Class Later. dismissed.